Hello there and welcome to MA Fight Club. Yours truly, Manny G, here to talk about UFC 297, Sean Strickland versus Drakus Duplessis. Unless you have been hiding under a rock, this fight has been growing in steam and drama. And of course, back at UFC 296, there was an altercation between Mr. Strickland and Duplessis cage side. Some people say it was all an act. I don't know. Either way, it was good theater, and this fight has sort of garnered the attention of the MMA world. We'll talk the entire fight card with you. If you know our format, we go pre, pre prelim. Sorry, first, then work our way up to the main card. We took a break at some point after the prelim card just to stand up, stretch out. I'm going to share with you my information, my details on the fighters, some statistics, some things you know, and some things you may not know. I do want to. Give a quick recap of UFC Vegas 84 last weekend. It's not often you can say you had a perfect card, and that, in fact, happened to us. The MMA betting gods blessed us. And if you were here last week, if you heard that video, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I'm not here to toot my own horn, but it's nice when you get the clean sweep, right? And we did have a parlay bet. It was like a $6 bet to make a $1,000, and that hit which is awesome, and I was, again, the entire full card. So reviewing that card quickly, Magomed Uncle Live knocks out John Johnny Walker round two. Pretty much everyone had Magomed Uncle Live, so that wasn't kind of a fancy pick. We were on Uncle Live. We were on him by decision. Nonetheless, he wins that fight. Jim Miller, we love Jim Miller in this spot. He ends up getting himself a win. Let me pull up those, um, those finishing results because you know what? I don't have those off the top of my head. But I will say this, we were very high in Jim Miller. It was more about Gabriel, Gabriel, his opponent, a guy who we feel has just sort of kind of aging out and durability is one of the big problems. So, oh yes, a, a rear naked choke that was more of a, of a face crank and that was in round three, three and a half minutes. Moving down, Mario Bautista beating Ricky Simone by decision. The more we looked at this fight, the more we love Bautista. And we pulled the trigger on Bautista, both as a parlay piece in our crazy long parlay. We also bet him straight up. And he pulled out the win, looked great in the process. And a matter of fact, he was, what, a plus 150 underdog? A lot of value there. For Ricky Simone, our concern was when he was on the feet, fighting on the feet. And ultimately, that's where Bautista, I thought, got the edge. Bruno Ferreira knocking out Phil Hawes. I mean, I pretty much everyone could sort of see that that fight would end by knockout, either Hawes knocking him out or Ferreira knocking out Hawes. We predicted Hawes getting knocked out in round number one by Ferreira. It happened that way. I'm not going to dance on Phil Hawes here. This guy is a really amazing athlete. Just the chin has gone. We talked a lot about that in our newsletter and our preview of this fight last week. First fight in the main card, Waldo Cortez Acosta versus Andre Arlovsky. Excuse me. Everyone pretty much was leaning towards Acosta, unproven, young prospect, and mostly because Arlovsky's getting old, right? But here's what got me here. I had the fight going no distance at a minus 260, minus 280 price tag, and I was so sure of that. Cost me a few bucks, both in a parlay or two, and looking back on it, I should have known better. These heavyweight fights tend to go a little bit longer than they should, and especially when you mix in, like, aging fighter and then you mix in a guy like Acosta who at times has been criticized for not sort of pushing the pace so yeah that was on me should have known better but Acosta pulled off the win 
down to the prelim card real quickly, just to recap of the winners, Preston Parsons, Marcus McGee, a lot of value there for him as a parlay piece. He destroyed Gaston. Free Bashrot, who was a favorite. Numbers started to come in on Taylor Lopolis. He pulls up the win by decision. That fight seemed pretty obvious to us that it was going to be a decision win because Lopolis had never been finished before. Nice job by Farid. Gene Silva wins. No surprise there. That fight probably shouldn't even have happened. He destroyed that kid, Weston Wilson. Tom Nolan drops the ball against Nicholas Moda. Tom Nolan is just one of the latest newcomers, um, contender series, debutante, who for some reason was a minus 345 favorite. We were on Nicholas Moda. Not a ton of confidence. We were on Moda, though. Picked him to win. He won that fight, I believe, by a knockout round number one or number two off the top of my head. And then Joshua Van versus Felipe Buns. We chose Van. Felipe Buns did have a good first round, but then things started to sway in the favor of Felipe. And he won that fight. I mean, Joshua, he won by a knockout in round number two. There's your recap for UFC Vegas 84. And again, clean sweep. If you are a subscriber to our newsletter, you got the full breakdown for that. Our breakdown for UFC 297 went out via newsletter yesterday. I encourage you to subscribe. There's a free version and a paid version. The free version gives you more or less 90% of the content. The extra 10% of the content that we're sort of, you know, tickling out there or, or teasing out there is just to encourage support for our channel, for our content, for my co-conspirators like Monique and Haley, who we do shows with on a weekly basis, just to help pay our overhead, the basics, the technology, right? The streaming services and those things. So if you want to be a paid subscriber, please do so. That link is down below in the description here for a YouTube video. And that's run through Substack, a great platform. If you're thinking about the news newsletter yourself, Substack is uh, a device that I would consider free to use, free to publish your content. You get free subscribers or paid subscribers, so on and so forth. Okay, uh, one more plug here before we jump into UFC 287. Join our Tapology group. <clears throat> if you don't know what that means, <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to put a link here down below. It's tapology.com, T-A-P-O-L-O-G-Y.com. All the cool people are on Tapology. Create a free account. No credit card required. And then join our group. Our group ID is 1269. If you have a hard time finding that group, trust me, it took me a minute when I first did this. But the link is down there below. That's our group ID. You'll see the logo for May Fight Club in there. And uh, join the group. You submit your picks every single week. There's a UFC event. If you win, you win a prize. If there's no prize that week. You win the uh, street credit of being first place over the over a pretty talented group, people that pick fights every week and do a good job. But it's free to jump in there. It's free to play. There are prizes. Um, I'm in there last week. I forgot to submit my picks. <laughs> it happens. Again, it's free to be in there, free to play. It's a good way to sort of test your skills against other people that are both fans and or cappers in the space. So again, that group ID is number 1269. Look us up on Tapology. Submit a request to join the group. I get the request, and then I accept it. You're in. Like Flynn, and we're good. Some visitors here. Tone Miggins, what is up, my buddy? How are you, man? It's a snow day. Yes, um, I wanted to open my blinds here. Problem is, you just get this white glare. It's just a white overtone. And you can't see the beautiful snow, which is falling right now at 10.08 uh, a.m. Eastern time here, New York City time, not too far from New York. We are getting the plow plow. 
we are getting the snow and it's beautiful i do love it to snow day here in this part of the northeast and uh not sure where you guys are at hope you're you're warm we are warm here you might see my dogs moving around at times they're laying on the floor they're warm cats are warm so we can't complain okay um let's talk business let's get in here let's talk about ufc 297 give you my rundown my breakdown of each fight and we're going to start with the first fight in the card that's malcolm gordon versus jimmy flick let me pull up the graphic here for you guys okay all right so this is the first fight on the prelim card i'm going to try to keep this concise i have a way of sort of rambling and talking and going on and on in tantrums and i don't want to do that today because I have a Zoom call at like 11.30ish, and I need to be on that Zoom call for solar panels, by the way. So, buddy of mine, some of you guys who've been longtime listeners, remember Seth, he would do a few shows with me every now and then, just a good longtime friend. He's now living in Tampa, Florida. Shout out to my boy, Seth. And uh, he's a, a big wig at a solar panel company. He started off in the sales department initially, just started off, but then... Really made his way up over the last few years. And so he's pitching me on a home solar system. And today we have our conference Zoom call to go over, you know, details and ask questions and see what we're going to be getting. And uh, excuse me a second. (coughs) Oh, my gosh. Sorry, guys. I don't know why I'm. Well, I know I'm sneezing because my dogs are here with me. That's why I'm sneezing. Um, Okay, let me pull up my notes here, which seem to be eluding me. Where is my nose? Here we go. Okay, so Malcolm Gordon minus 205, Jimmy Flick plus 170. It's a flyweight bout. We like Malcolm X Gordon to win by decision. Now, um, let me put my nose aside and just sort of rap to you for a second about this fight. This fight's more about Jimmy Flick than Malcolm Gordon. Flick's a guy who hasn't had his hand raised since 2020, about four years. He retired for a year some family issues. I don't want to over talk about that because it's his personal life. He went through some family issues as everyone does go through. Unfortunately, it really sidetracked his career. When he returned from retirement, 2023-ish, yeah, um, he hasn't won a fight since then. His chin looks like it might be fragile. He's getting clipped easily. He looks rough. He doesn't look the like the guy who had all those submissions before. His path to victory is usually a submission of some kind. He's got a bunch of them. More than half of his wins are by submission. Problem is, it's like after he retired and came back, he came back to a whole new you know group of killers on the roster. And so it's like the sport sort of passed him by so quickly. Now, we know these submission guys, jiu-jitsu guys, they can hit a wall. <laughs> and we've seen guys that, that that's happened to. Unfortunately for him, I think he sort of hit that wall where it's like, you know, that that technique works only so so long in this sort of business when you have guys that are a little more balanced who offer more. And so this fight to me is all about, can I trust Jimmy Flick getting a submission? Can I trust that he bounced back and shakes off the losing? And no, <laughs> that's my answer. No, I can't. Now, Malcolm X Gordon, not a guy that I trust a lot either. Someone who I feel like, he sort of finds a way to lose fights. Does that make any sense? All that said, he does have a good skill set. He is a pretty good wrestler. He's won some fights over the last few years where you thought maybe he wasn't going to win those fights. But he's a pretty much vanilla fighter, doesn't do anything amazing. 
lacks finishing power. And so I'm like, do I want to get behind a guy like him? And he's the favorite, right? He's minus 205. If you're just talking about betting, you're probably putting somebody behind Flick because we do know Flick has a path to victory. And that's your first rationale point of like, can I bet this guy? Does he have a way to win the fight? Yes, he does. Yeah, neither guy really gives me a lot of confidence. I believe the fight does hit round number two. That spot I'm curious about. That line's not out just yet. I can look it up. It, no, it might be out. Let me, um, <clears throat> excuse me here. I have the runs. I'm going to nasal runs, that is. <laughs> that sounded terrible. Let me look up this line real quick here and see if it came out this morning. For the fight beginning round number two for the Malcolm Gordon fight, that's what I'm looking up here. That prop is currently lined at minus 175. Okay, not so bad. I like that spot. The fight going over 1.5 rounds is even, minus 105. And then Gordon, just in the money line. Yeah, I probably won't be pulling the trigger on that. So, yeah, give me Gordon by decision. A fight that could result in Flick getting released, too. So, a little side note, this could be Flick's fight for his roster spot. Maybe even if he still wins and it's not a, you know, a nice-looking win, then, yeah. Oh. One more thing, Malcolm Gordon, he represents Canada. There's 10 of the 12 fights in this fight card have a Canadian in it, and it's the first 10 fights on the card. Unfortunately, the last two, the co-main and main, don't have a Canadian fight. Those are championship fights. But nonetheless, Malcolm Gordon's the hometown kid. I imagine the fights that go to decision, the hometown fighter should get some level of, I don't know, possible of a bump, especially from the crowd at least, right? Okay, that's that fight. Malcolm Gordon to win by decision. Let's move on. Okay, now we have a female fight. Jasmine Jasudavicious, which I'm probably butchering her name. I've heard it said a few different ways, and she was on the MMA Hour with uh, Ariel Hawani, and she pronounced it a way that I still can't quite remember or say, but uh, I'll call her JJ. So JJ up against Priscilla Cachoeira, who goes by Zombie Girl. The only concern I have about this fight, <laughs> before I get too far into it, is that Jasmine has been the bonafide favorite like almost three to one favorite now for a few weeks and that scares you uh it feels like those type of fighters that maybe should be favored but not that much of a favorite and and it's female mma and they tend to go to decisions and uh, things get squirrely um yeah long story short i do like jasmine to win i just sort of have my concerns it's a flyweight bout 125 pounders jasmine's nine and three overall three and two in her last five She's a Canadian fighter, 34 years old, so kind of getting long the tooth, but Priscilla's 35, so they're both in the same age bracket. Both 5'7", though I would argue Jasmine's probably a little taller than Priscilla. I'll be curious about the face-offs. And the reaches on the side of Jasmine, 68 inches for Jasmine, 65 inches for Priscilla. <clears throat> okay, as for some of my notes on these two fighters, well, I can tell you right off the top of my head. The difference here will be, can Priscilla either crack Jasmine, because that's what Chris, Priscilla does. Priscilla fights with reckless abandon. No plan B or plan C. It's just, I'm going to go out there and swing for the fences. I'm going to clip this girl. Priscilla can take a punch in the process. I don't believe Jasmine would you know, be wise to stay in there with Priscilla for three rounds and trade. That would be a dangerous strategy. I, I believe she's going to get some takedowns, some top control. Utilize her wrestling. And with Jasmine, her wrestling's a bit underrated, right? She defeated Miranda Maverick in a fight where I believe Miranda was favored. 
And not only did she beat her, but she beat her at her own game. She out-wrestled Maverick. And so with Jasmine, sneaky good wrestler. I would emphasize wrestler, not necessarily jiu-jitsu practitioner. Priscilla, who is Brazilian, is not really a, Braz a Brazilian typical jiu-jitsu fighter, right? She's more of a a scrappler, <laughs> not, not a grappler, a scrappler, right? She's going to go go at your head, elbows, uh, big heavy shots. She has one plan, like I said, and one plan only. If you like Priscilla here, by knockout makes sense. That's plus 425. Anytime knockout by Priscilla, plus 425. Fight starts round number three. I like that prop. Over two and a half rounds is minus 160. Fight goes to distance is minus, one, minus 140. And Jasmine, by decision, is minus 125. That's a lot better than the minus 380 we're seeing right now in the market. So Jasmine, the things I don't like about her are the lack of finishing ability and her okay striking technique. We've seen her get pieced up before. Those two things could lead to her losing the fight. I just think, again, she's in Canada. She's very hyped up for this spot. Being on this card, she had asked about being on the next Canadian card a while ago. Here she is. She's on it approaching her prime years and yes one more point she is the more balanced of the two fighters and that does carry some weight priscilla has one path to victory it's knocking you out it's going after you very aggressive what was the fight where she had with that that uh i think lee uh asian fighter or key or i forgot the girl's name they went back and forth both of them were wearing it when the fight was over so I saw that fight. I saw Priscilla was, you know, she could take a punch, but she has no other way to win the fight. <laughs> it's like, it's sort of like she's got a little bit of Justin Gaethje in her. Not as good of a striker, obviously not as high as a level of fighter, but she just goes for it and doesn't care if she gets tagged in the process. And I think this fight here, she won't get tagged too bad by Jasmine. She'll get tied up. She'll throw a big overhand or something, give up her back. Jasmine's not going to ride her out for a few minutes. And that'll happen for three rounds. That's how I see it going. So Jasmine, Justin Vicious by decision. That's my pick. And we shall move on. Okay, next fight on the card. What do we got here? All right, yes. Another Canadian, Johan Lyonis at minus 148 up against Sam Patterson. Let me pull up their profiles here off of Tapology. Give me one second, boys and girls. And I do need to get a drink. I have a small little swig of wine here, but I need some drink, something like some water to wet the palate. Okay. All right, here we go, guys. All right, so Johan Lioness. Lioness. I keep like I keep like I'm always saying that wrong. It goes by the White Lion. Up against Sam Patterson, the future. Well. I'll give you some numbers first. Patterson's 10-2-1 overall, 4-1 his last five out of the United Kingdom, 27 years young, 6'3", very tall, almost an 80-inch reach, 78 inches to be exact. As for the white line, 9-2 overall, Canadian fighter from Quebec, Canada, 31 years old, 6'1", so slightly shorter, not much shorter, with a 76-inch reach. So again, height and reach go to Sam Patterson. If you've seen him fight before, very tall, long, I mean, look at his neck in that profile picture. He, that's sort of how this guy is built, right? So very big frame for the division, but kind of thin. And that, I, I think it's going to catch up with him in a lot of different ways. Nonetheless, coming off of a knockout loss where he got manhandled in his last fight, a fight that we were fading him in. So I don't know if you can see my smile a little bit. I, I'm, I'm kind of smiling as I'm talking. Look, the point is we doubted him coming into that last fight and he was up against that Ishmael oh, Anals, Anals guy, the 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 um, 
is really who was making his debut. He knocked out Patterson. Patterson was very unproven. Um, he was a minus 280 favorite. And he's a guy who he looks the part sometimes in the regional scene. But I have questions about him transitioning over to this level of MMA right now in his career. Matter of fact, he's a guy who, quite frankly, could burn out quickly instead of maybe spending another few years in the regional scene and really filling out and, and sort of honing in on his, his skill set because I don't think he's got the chin and just the skills for this level. Now, with Johan Lyonese, he's also got his shortcomings too. He's gotten a bit of a late start into the mixed martial arts thing, and he got a contract through Contender Series, what, last year? Not this, no, last, two years ago. He's sort of knockout or bust. He gets very tired after the halfway point of the fight. He's fought cautious at times after he got knocked out last time. And so I'm not super sold on him either. But here's my thought process. He's seen the film. Everyone saw the film, the film on Sam Patterson. I think Johan can literally just walk him down and clip him in the first round. End the fight. Crowd goes wild. It's going to look great for UFC in terms of you know fan response, whatever else the case may be. If we get into round number two, I still think Johan can clip him. But once we get to that halfway point, now it's going to be interesting. Does Patterson have the better cardio and stamina? Can he be disciplined? Can he keep his hands up? Because he makes a lot of mistakes, this Patterson kid. And again, regional scene, that works just fine. On this type of situation, not so much. So again, I like the Lionese here, the white line by round two knockout. That's my prediction for Patterson. I worry about the kid. Like I said, I hope he proves me wrong. Does a great job, gets a win here. But I'm a little worried about his chin, a little worried about his his young age and just getting melted here in his first two UFC fights. But that's what I worry about happening. Under two and a half rounds is minus 435. That's a bit of a rich spot, but could be a parlay piece where you're covering yourself and the fact that maybe Lionese does gas out or Patterson gets knocked out. And then Lionese by knockout is plus 130. Our prop lock here is the under two and a half rounds at minus 435. In terms of who wins the fight, just depends on who has the fight, you know, going the way that they want it to go in terms of their plan, right? So if Patterson's plan to stay at distance, get some volume, take his time, get out of the first round, if that's what he does, he's gonna it's gonna go his way. If Lionese can crack him and invite Patterson in for a dog fight, and Patterson, I don't believe, just doesn't have that man strength yet, like a guy like Johan does, I think Johan scores a knockout. So give me Johan the white line by a round two knockout. For the third fight in the main card, I'm sorry, prelim card. All right, next up, Jillian Robertson, minus 290 up against Pollyanna Viana. Let me pull up the profile of these two ladies for you. The second of the two female fights on the prelim card. Now, of course, Jillian Robertson, who is currently located in, in Florida, trains in Florida, but she has roots in Canada. So got the red hair too, right? So she'll be the hometown fighter up against Pollyanna Viana. It's a strawweight bout, 115 pounders. Robertson's 12 and 8 overall, 3 2 in her last five, 28 years old, 5 foot 5 in height with a 63 inch reach for Viana. Same height with a little bit longer reach, 67 inches for Viana. Viana's a Brazilian fighter. She's a slight dog here, 13 and 6 overall, 3 2 in her last five fights. Okay. Oh my gosh, my allergies are acting up and it's snowing outside. It's so beautiful. All right, what do we have here on my notes in these two fighters? Let me get into the details. So current line is minus 290 for Robertson, plus 235 for Pollyanna Viana. Like, we like Julian Robertson to win this fight by round two submission, but I'm getting closer and closer to flipping my pick because if you recall Robertson's last fight, she fought Tabitha Ricci, and Ricci just sort of danced around her for three rounds, you know, picked and moved. 
And Robertson just looked like an old fighter who lacked an oomph, you know, didn't have a, 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 a urgency to what she was doing and needed to cut the corners of that cage off um, and slow down Tabitha and get her hands on her. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get her down. Couldn't keep her down. And at some point appeared to just sort of resign to the fact, well, I can't get her down and my striking is not good. Now, I mean that with all due respect, Robertson could probably knock my ass out. But what I'm saying to you is, in comparison to her competition, Robertson's striking is below average. It lacks power. She's easy to hit. Head movement's very, very lacking. She spent most of her career on the mat working on her jiu-jitsu. She does grappling tournaments when she's not in the cage. That's what she's known for. Everyone knows that about her. Tons of her, tons of wins by submission. Like I think her last four or five wins, or four of her last five or five or last six wins were by submission. We get that. But if she can't get Vienna to the crown, then we end up in the situation like we just saw last fight with Tabitha Ricci. And if you're betting on Robertson, you're going to be pulling your hair out. I can't do that. But pulling your hair out and saying to yourself, why did I back her here? I just saw her make that mistake. I just saw her drop the ball like that. The last 12 fights combined, they went to decision four times. So about a third of the time, 33% of the time, they're going to decision. In Viana's case, though, interesting stat for her, she's been a decision only once in her last six fights. Now, I'm not thinking of Viana as a high-level finisher, but she has been getting some finishes, and she's also been getting finished herself. For me, the best way for Viana to win this fight would be to simply keep it standing, right? defend the takedowns that would frustrate Robertson, and let her hands go. She's got a little bit of a reach advantage. She's the better striker, which doesn't say much because, again, Robertson's just not that good at striking. If a finish is to happen, though, I don't believe it's Pollyanna Vienna submitting Robertson or knocking her out. I believe it's Robertson submitting Vienna. Now, Vienna has got a black belt in jiu-jitsu and has been rumored to be good at jiu-jitsu. I don't know. She's got some submissions on her resume. I don't believe she's anywhere near the jiu-jitsu level of a practitioner like Robertson. I could be wrong, but if it gets to the ground because Vienna's like, oh, I could hang with her down here, that will be the death of Vienna because Robertson will eventually submit her. But if the fight's standing, Vienna wins it. That's my take on this fight. From a betting perspective, the fight begins round two as a prop I do like. Let me see what the price is on that. Pollyanna Vienna and Robertson, the fight begins round number two, is minus 250. Very interesting. A fair price um, and something that I would consider as a parlay piece. And a way to bet this fight where you're not choosing a side, because sometimes with fights like this, you're like, I don't know if we're going to get either side. Well, that's a spot for you. The fight going to round number two. Robertson by submission is only plus 140, so the books are not giving you much of a return there. They know that's a very likely possible outcome. Vienna by decision is plus 700. Now, there's some serious value there because here's a situation that you would imagine that's probably her path to victory. I don't see her submitting Robertson, even though Robertson has been submitted before, or knocking her out, right? Um, two long shot props to consider. I'm going to look up the prices here are the split props, right? So let's go down here and look what these prices are like right now. We've got Jillian Robertson by split at plus 900. And Polly Aviana by split at plus 2,500. Wow. You know, that's 10 bucks to make uh, 250 bucks. That's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I'm I'm going to play those props. I'm going to put a sprinkle on those props. You know what? It's two female fighters, and the fight could be close. 
if it's close and it goes to a split, you got to imagine it goes to, again, the hometown fighter. So, yeah, give me Robertson with a fight. I have her by submission, but she needs to get into a situation where she can get a submission attempt on, and that is my concern. All right. My prop lock for that fight, by the way, is the fight starting round number two, which is minus 250 odds. Okay, next up, Serhei Sidi at minus 185, excuse me, up against Ramon Tavares at plus 154 odds. This fight is interesting in that they're both debuting, right? UFC debuts. They fought each other before. Okay, all right, not the crazy situation. But then on top of that, they fought before, like for Sergey for Sergey uh, Sadi, that was his last fight, and it was on Contender Series. So they just fought Contender Series what six seven months ago, not even six months ago, five months ago, this past season, and now they're relinking up again. They've both made their way to the UFC. And you're, if you're wondering how did this guy Tavares get to the UFC, if they fought before and Sadi knocked him out, it's because Tavares got reinvited back to the, the contender series. I'm sorry for the end of the season. Won his fight by knockout, and now here he is in the UFC. All right, some basic numbers in these two guys. Sadi, who is the Canadian fighter, slight favorite here at minus 180. He's from Burlington, Ontario, 27 years old, 5'11 in height with a 72-inch reach. For Richard Tavares, who goes with a savage, 92 overall, 4-1 his last five fights. He's based out of Jacksonville, Florida, 30 years old, 5'8", so if you're just shorter than Sadi, with a 70-inch reach. And so, again, these guys fought before a few months ago on Contender Series. Let's talk about that fight. The consensus was almost immediately. Fans, you know, people sitting cage side, even Dana White was like a meme right away of him like kind of looking at the camera like, what? What was that stoppage? It's important to note the fight was definitely stopped prematurely. Everyone agrees with this. That's why Dana invited Ramon Tavares to come back a few weeks later, and he came back, got his fight, got a contract. But outside of the fact that it was stopped early, Serhei Sadi did knock down Tavares. He did clip him in round number one. And that was after, after Tavares had hit Sadi a few hard times too. Sadi took those punches pretty well. And then when Tavares got hit the first hard time, he, he kind of folded to the ground. Ref stepped in too early. I got it. Sadi has the mental edge here. It's the rematch of a fight that he just had not too long ago. He clipped this guy. Tavares, he's boom or bust. He's getting a TKO or he's getting TKO'd. That's the way he fights. I love it. UFC's going to enjoy having the roster, how long he's on the roster for. But this fight doesn't get, get another probably, what, second round? You're going to start swinging for the fences. At some point, one of them gets clipped. I'm not sure Sadi knocks him out. I'm just sure someone gets knocked out, right? That's my basic take in this fight. But let me give you some more details on these two guys here. Sadi um, by round two knockout is my exact prediction, my method of victory. And, oh, here's a stat for you guys. I want to talk about contender series, right? So Dana handed out contracts this year, contender series, like he was hanging out turkeys, like free turkeys in the ghetto. <laughs> if you don't know what that reference is, if you know, you know, if you don't, it's a thing in the ghetto, in the hood, especially where I was from, you know, getting free turkeys handed out to the supermarket, like local celebrities, they'd come do that, like local, like a local boxing hero, whatever, hand out free turkeys. Well, Dana was handing out contracts on contender series this past season, like he was handing out free turkeys in the hood. Anyway, I suspected back during contender series, we did a show every week, we did a watch party as well. 
I was watching these fights closely, and the caliber of of the fighters was was lower than years before. Just simply was. And so the, the caliber of the winners was also a little bit lower. And then Dana just went on a shopping spree and signed pretty much anybody who won. He signed some people who didn't win. Signed one girl who had a draw. Signed both fighters, I think, at least in one case. But yeah, he was signing people every weekend as much as possible. And if you just follow the math on this, it makes sense. They've let go. They've let go. That's not proper English. They've let go of fighters the past year or so. People like Jennifer Maya, who was an aging veteran who's still a quality fighter, who beat Casey O'Neill, you know, two, three fights ago, who just dropped. But Jennifer Meyer dropped her last fight, was probably up for a new contract. And it's just simple labor economics. If you're the big boss man and you have a budget, why would you pay an aging fighter who, yeah, Jennifer Meyer is pretty good, but you have to pay Jennifer Meyer three times, four times the amount you're going to have to pay a new contender series fighter coming into the come to UFC. So it's kind of like the pensions, you know, the pension programs. They want to get rid of the employees so they don't have a full pension yet, right? Get rid of them early, have them do early retirement, kind of go them into early retirement because they don't want to have to pay all this money in the pension. Get a younger employee who gets paid less money, <laughs> no pension just yet. So it's all about labor economics. And ultimately, supply and demand has forced the UFC to consider letting go of some fighters like Talia Santos, decent fighters, and say, listen, let's just get some new blood in here. They're much cheaper. If you're looking at NFL comparison, NFL loves having good quarterbacks on their rookie contract because once that quarterback gets that first big contract, now the payroll gets all flipped upside down. <laughs> so you need a, a, a quarterback-friendly contract to usually have a, a good balanced team. That's their first few years of their rookie contract. The same here for UFC. Let's get some new blood in here. But I, I concur, this new blood is not very good. So here's some stats for you. Of the fighters that have fought this first cycle from the last season of Contender Series, guys like Kanan Krzyzewski, Kyle Machado, Kevin Borjas, Tom Nolan last weekend, and Zach Reese. Zach Reese was the guy who fought Cody Brundage. Who Cody Brundage everyone was like fading him, and Cody still beat him. Um, and Stephanie Luciano. Those fighters have all fought so far from Contender Series last season, and none of them won. As a matter of fact, Stephanie Luciano got a draw on her fight. Everyone else lost. Now, the only winner so far has been Shamil Gaziev. That's the heavyweight who won his fight a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, one of the last uh, UFC fight nights of, of the year for 2023. Nonetheless, they're not winning at a high clip. It's still a small sample size, but I... Again, I'm suggesting the quality of those fighters is not very good. If I see a fighter on a fight card coming up in this first cycle after contender series, I'm going to be inclined to look at fading that fighter. In this case, that tech that you know that technique's not going to work, right? Because these guys both were on contender series this year and they fought each other. And look, a lot of the betting public's going to say Tavares got robbed. He's plus 154 money. He's got knockout power. Sadiq got lucky. I get it. I get it. <clears throat> I say to you this. Sadiq's the one who clipped his ass in that first fight. Sadiq took a few hard punches and did, did you know, in stride. And Sadiq's the hometown fighter. So make of it what you will. It is a bit of a flip of a coin. It's still mixed martial arts. It's two grown-ass men swinging hard. Someone gets clipped. I'm not surprised if either guy gets their hand raised. 
I would be shocked if the fight goes longer. The other two and a half rounds, minus 210, a wonderful parlay spot. Like, you could parlay that and say, I'm good. Let me watch this fight. Let me see who gets knocked out. The fight is not going to distance, minus 260, which gives you another half round. And the fight ending by knockout. What is that prop price? Because that wasn't available when I was doing my notes. Let me look it up here. So I'm talking about Serhe Sidi and Ramon Taveras. I just want to look at the winning method knockout either guy. That's minus 150. That's a great spot. And if you're looking at picking, you know, splitting hairs there, you've got Sidi at minus 185. So minus 150 for the knockout win is a better price than that. For Ramon Taveras, if you really like him, I just I want to plead with you. It's not going to be by decision, right? Or, you know, I just feel like his his path is more narrowed. It's by knockout, probably round one or round two. That prop sometimes is available, round one or round two knockout. So anyway, Serhei Sidi, I believe he knocks out Severus again. This time the referee takes a little bit longer to let it unfold. Um, Serhei Sidi by round two knockout is the prediction. Okay, let's move on. Next fight in the card, prelim card we're still on, Charles Air Jordan. Minus 205 up against Sean Woodson at plus 170 odds. Let me pull up their graphic for you guys. I feel like Sean Woodson doesn't fight very often. You know, sometimes your perception is is not reality. I just, I feel like he's not in there as much as some other guys. And, you know, that alone put that negative connotation in my my head. Like, you know, this guy's not very active. But, um, you know, sometimes, again, perception is not reality. So basically, these two guys, Charles Air Jordan, 15, 6, and 1 overall, 3 2 in his last five. He is the Canadian fighter, 28 years old, 5 foot 9 with a 69 inch reach. As for Sean the Sniper Woodson, the American fighters, 10, 1 and 1 overall, 3, 1 and 1 in his last five. From St. Louis, 31 years old, so slightly older. Very tall, long frame. Uh, he's going to be the taller fighter here by about 3 or 4 inches, 6 foot 2 in height with a 78 inch reach. About three or four inches, about four or five inches, actually. Um, and his reach is about a foot, a foot of reach difference with Woodson compared to Jordan. And if you know again, Woodson, very long, thin guy, long legs, uh, throws a variety of kicks, punches, a pretty high volume striker. His jiu-jitsu is actually underrated. Uh, he's got that long frame where he look he's he looks like he probably can't wrestle too much, but he's kind of sneaky good with his long legs and arms. So that's something Jordan has to be at least a little bit aware of. It's a featherweight bout, 145 pounders. Let me go into my notes on these two guys. All right, so I like Charles Air Jordan by decision. That's plus 200 odds. For Jordan, in search of his third win in a row, after defeating Ricardo Ramos by round one submission this past fall, he's four and two in his last six fights, so kind of, you know, doing well over a good sample size. In 22 pro fights, he's only been stopped one time. In 2021, he got submitted, so never been knocked out. I think for Charles Air Jordan, the kind of fighter he is, he will feed off the crowd. He's going to feed off of being in Canada. He's a bit of a fan favorite, good-looking guy. He's got a little bit of swagger about him. And so I think this is going to be the perfect environment for him. If the fight were to be pretty close, I think he's able to, like, dig deeper. The fans are going to help him. And, look, the fans can help him the scorecards, too, if the fight is close and they're wooing and wowing. You know, Charles Air Jordan doing some things, doing some things, I'm sorry, and not really acknowledging what Sean's doing, that could be the difference for some judges, right? Now, for Woodson, super long fighter. Obviously, likes to operate at range, at distance. He can use his frame, his one one foot, uh, almost one foot of reach advantage, right? Here's the big knock on him, and it's the knock everyone talks about. He doesn't have any power behind his punches. 
So he could land a three or four or five punch combination, but it's not doing much. Now, let's say he lands more punches in the round than Jordan, but it's like only a few more punches. It's not going to win him the round because, again, the judge is going to look at his punching power and say, well, he's not doing as much. And so that's the big knock on him. He does throw nice punches. They look good. He's a, he's actually a former boxer, so he's got boxing in his pedigree. He is just not a power puncher. And so if you're fighting him, like Jordan's fighting him, he should feel comfortable just walking him down and not being worried about getting clipped because here's a guy who, again, doesn't really pack that one-punch power. Neither guy does a lot of wrestling, but again, I mentioned before, Woodson is pretty good with jiu-jitsu, and Jordan has some submissions as well. I would be surprised, though, if it becomes a wrestling match. For Woodson, he works hard to keep it in the feet. He's actually got pretty good takedown defense as well. So to me, this fight plays out on the feet over the course of three rounds, and I just don't know that we're going to finish. I think at some point, Woodson's propensity to be careful and use his hands and sort of push back, and he's a bit of a safe fighter. I mean, I'm not knocking Woodson and saying, oh, he's you know, no courage, no balls. No, I'm just saying his fight style is a little bit safe. He tends to, <clears throat> excuse me, back up, work off of his back foot, try to circle. And at times that works for him. But he's the guy on foreign ter territory. He's going to need to do some things in the octagon to win over the crowd. Or not to win over the crowd, but win over the judges, right? And so I just don't see that happening. I like Jordan here. I like him quite a bit. The fight beginning round number two is minus 500. Super chalky spot, but again, maybe a possible parlay piece in a fight where you can't choose a side. Over 1.5 rounds, minus 300. The fight goes to decision is minus 135. Our prop lock is the fight starting round number two. That's our prop lock. Again, it's minus 500. Pretty rich price tag, but again, I like it from a standpoint that I feel safe with it. I think we definitely get out of round number one. Okay, fluky stuff to consider. If Jordan does like a spinning back fist or spinning wheel kick or something, lands that and knocks out Charles uh, Sean Woodson, I wouldn't be surprised at that. Charles has a bit of flair to his game. He knows a finish would obviously be even better for the crowd and even for his wallet. So I could see him going for it. Now, in the process of doing that, I worry he does something that overexposes himself. He catches a bad elbow or something, gets cut. He has been cut before. So you know, Charles Jordan is the minus 205 favorite. I like him here. I like him straight up on the money line. But there are ways that he can get in trouble in this fight. He's done some things in the past that low fighter IQ moments. And Woodson, who doesn't fight very often, is a bit of an overachiever. He makes the most of what he has. But anyway, give me Charles Jordan by decision. That's my pick. That's plus 100 odds. And let's move on. Okay, next fight on the card is going to be Brad Katona. Oh, my goodness, this guy. Brad Katona versus... Garrett Armfield, and you know, I think I could talk about Bracketona for a while, but I'm not going to do that today. This guy is just a bit of a I don't know, it's hard to really put your finger on it. But two time winner of the Ultimate Fighter, and one just won this past season, last summer, whatever. And he's back, got a contract. He was in UFC, UFC before after he won the contract the first time, got cut. <laughs> um, he's re he returned, and so he's a bit of a, a journeyman. Long winning streak, underrated at times. I tend to underrate him. I tend to overlook him. Uh, this time I'm not. I'm actually going to choose Brackett to win this fight by decision. And I, I initially was on Garrett Armfield. I like Garrett Armfield. I've tried to interview him before. He's actually been pretty responsive. I haven't interviewed him yet, but hope to interview him in the future. And I like his fighting style. I think, I think he's at the better upside. I think he's going to end up being the better fighter in you know, five, six years from now. But right now, man, Katona does just enough to win these type of fights. And I think he has the more experience. Well, I don't think he does have more experience against better competition than Garrett Armfield. And Katona can make this fight ugly. 
three does. He makes fights ugly, grabs people, pulls, pulls them to the ground, control time. He's fought through adversity. He's been through adversity, right? You know, getting cut from the UFC and coming back, whatever else. So, yeah, I mean, I'm tired of of waking up on on Sunday morning and saying, why did I bet against Brad Katona when the guy is actually doing enough to win fights? And as annoying as he is and his his weird accent situation, or like a fake accent from Ireland, but he's from Canada, you know, whatever. Um, I got to give the guy his respect, right? So, Anyway, Bantamweight bout, 135 pounders. Brad Katona goes by Superman. He's 13 and 2 overall on a nice winning streak, 5 and 0 in his last five. He is a Canadian fighter, though he's now based out of Dublin, Ireland, 32 years old, 5 foot 6 with a 64 and a half inch reach. As for Garrett Armfield, 9 and 3 overall, 4 and 1 in his last five, 27 years old, same height, but a better reach here, 70 inches compared to 64 and a half. If you know Brad Katona, he's kind of built like a stocky wrestler, so you can see how his arm length wouldn't be very long. And, uh, Okay, my notes on these two guys. Let's talk about these two guys and what I think. So minus one, I need two odds for Brad Katona. Not, not bad, not great. Garrett Armfield plus 160. Katona by decision, that's plus 110 odds. Now, Katona, mentioned before, the type of guy who's easy to overlook, easy to sort of like second guess and, oh, he's small or whatever, you know, doesn't have knockout power, doesn't finish fights, uh, boring fighting style. All those things are true. They can all be true, and he could also still be winning fights. You know, look at Bilal Muhammad, right? People always, oh, Bilal Muhammad is so boring, whatever. He wins fights. He's a top contender. Do what you got to do, right? Now, for Armfield, nice reach advantage here, right? Here's a guy who's got some finishing ability, who tends to be a little more aggressive than Katona, has a propensity for more violence, right? For Armfield, though, he'll be better off not doing any wrestling with Katona. Now, Armfield can wrestle. He's got some ability on the ground. He, I think he's probably a former high school wrestler himself. But I don't, I don't, I don't like him on the ground here with Katona. And a matter of fact, when he's on the ground, he can't take advantage of his longer reach. So for Armfield, the game plan should be, listen, if we get into a wrestling situation with this guy, mind our P's and Q's, get back to our feet. Plan A, though, is to defend the takedown attempts. Stay off the ground with Katona. Let's work at range here. Force Katona to, into a boxing match where I don't believe Katona is amazing. He's okay in striking, but he's much better on the mat, much better at wrestling. You know, So for Katona, look, he wants to get the fight to the ground. right? We know that. Armfield, keep the fight standing. Whoever can enforce their will, whoever can get their game plan going, probably wins. One more point here. The fight gets to round two-ish, two-and-a-half-ish. I like Katona a lot there. We've seen him go the distance. He's got excellent cardio, trains at a very good gym. With Armfield, we've seen him get tired. <laughs> um, he's also still a little bit wet behind the ears, still kind of learning the game, has not as fought as many people as, as Brad Katona has fought. So, you know, Katona has an experience advantage here, might have a cardio advantage, and then that just immeasurable, that dog to find a way to win, even in a fight where you're not favored to win or maybe you're a cut. I've seen Katona do those things. So, I'm here to give Katona his flowers. I'm tired of doubting Katona, and then he wins the fight. Now, Plachi loses this damn fight, and I'm like, look, I finally picked the guy to win. He loses. Oh, he's a favorite here, too. But all right, betting spots here. Over 1.5 rounds is minus 370. I mean, that makes sense to me. I see this fight going longer. I could see one of them getting tired or maybe Armfield getting tired, but not in that first half of the fight. So over 1.5, minus 370. The fight begins round three, minus 250. Excuse me. Katona by split decision at plus 600, and Armfield by split is plus 1400. Our prop lock here is over 1.5 rounds, which again is minus 370 odds. And again, our pick, Brad Katona by decision. That's the prelim card, guys. Let me get a drink here, as you could probably hear me. I am like 
basically uh <laughs> like i can barely uh barely talk now i have uh like cotton mouth now but let me go ahead and grab a drink i'm gonna be right back with you guys in the meantime now's a good time for you folks that are here with me to stretch the legs a little bit and uh you know grab a drink yourself maybe grab some coffee grab some wine depends on what time zone you're in here and i will be right back do a little wu-tang mix while i'm gone too Boys and gals, I am back. If you're in the comment section, mi gente, Silo, what's up, my buddy? How are you? He says, stay away from fight for me if I had to choose. He's talking about the Flick and Gordon fight. Yeah, that's a tough one, man, because I can see Flick pulling off a submission. It, just look at his resume. Look him up. That's what this guy does. So he's done it a lot of times. <laughs> he's done it a bunch. If Jimmy Flick was drunk and got into a bar fight this weekend, he would submit the guy. <laughs> That's what he would do. 
He would submit me. Even if he was drunk and I wasn't, he would submit me. Anthony W. What's up, man? 2023 MA Fight Club number one fan. Always good to have you here, Anthony. Anthony writes in here. He says, Tavares not winning. Don't overthink it. We already saw the fight. Yeah, you know, there are times when if if they fought before <laughs> and there's a rematch, it's like, well, what might happen? Well, maybe what happened before. You know, I have to agree with you on that one. Choi Bay, what's up, Choi Bay? Choi Bay writes in here. What about PFL Bellator prediction? Big event. Yes, I uh, haven't touched that yet in terms of the, the entire fight card. I'm hearing about the fights on that fight card. You know, they're going hard. Uh, PFL bought Bellator, and they're just going to go hard. One thing I didn't look at, and maybe you can answer the question for me, Choi Bay, is is the PFL going to have the Challenger Series this year? Because Challenger Series, I believe, ran in the early part of the calendar year, right? So like January, February-ish. And I haven't looked it up, but I wonder if they're going to be doing away with that this year because they just have so much. There's PFL Europe, if they're doing that again. There's Challenger Series. There's obviously Bellator, and then they've got the you know a lot, a lot going on there, a lot going on. So um, the short the short answer for you, Choi Bay, is I don't have an answer, <laughs> but I will be getting one out to you. I will be doing a breakdown video for that uh, that fight card. S four no uh, is that supposed to be Sano? I'm not sure, but uh, he says what's up? What's up, Sano? Like your image there of of Jesus, Jesus. Okay, let's jump into the main card for UFC 297 being held in the wonderful confines of the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Canada. So we went to the prelim card. I'll give you a quick summary of the prelim card picks that we had. And if you're looking to go rewind in the video, you can do that. When we're done with the video, I'll put some timestamps up. So those listening to this video later on in the future, You'll be able to go around quickly to whatever fights you want to hear me talking about. Okay, so the prelim card, I'm going to give the summary of our picks. We like Malcolm Gordon, Jasmine Jostadavicious, Johan Lainis, uh, Julian Robertson, Sergei Sidi, Charles Jordan, and Brad Katona. Brad Katona. Okay, main card. Main card. Let me pull this up here. Let me first grab the right graphic here. So first fight in the main card is going to be Arnold Allen. Up against Mazfar Ivalev. And oh, this fight's gonna screw people up. I'm telling you. People are gonna see this undefeated record of Ivalev, and they're gonna just say, Oh, he's gonna go 18 and 0, typical Russian, blah, 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 blah. Not so fast. Not so fast. I tell you guys, not so fast. Um, some numbers here. Arnold Allen's 19 and 2 overall. Pretty good record. 4 and 1 in his last five from England. About to be 30 years old, five foot eight with a 70 inch reach, and he's out of TriStar Gym and BKK Fighters. As for Mazfar Ivalev, who's 17 and zero, five and zero in his last five from Russia. This guy's got some legit numbers. He's also 29 years old, about to be 30, five foot seven, 72 and a half inch reach. So height and reach wise, these guys are very similar. Now I heard a rumor that Arnold Allen actually did some training in Canada, um, or maybe even still trains in Canada. So we'll give him the Canadian flag for this fight. He's obviously, he's from England, but, you know, we'll just, for now, for this fight, we'll say he's the Canadian fighter. He'll get some hometown support, right? 
featherweight bout, 145 pounders. So yeah, just the numbers right there, looking at the numbers, these guys have a high winning percentage, 19-2, and 17-0, good experience. The pedigrees there, English fighters are tough as hell, and you know, Evilev coming from Russia, you kind of give all those guys a little bit of a bump, right? Okay, so the basics here. As for my thoughts in this fight, my thoughts. I like Arnold Almighty Allen to win by decision. That's plus 330 odds. He's currently the dog in the money line at plus 164. Evil has minus 198. Now, Allen's trying to get back into winning ways after losing his last fight to Max Holloway by decision. There's nothing wrong with losing a fight to Max Holloway by decision. A matter of fact, it may have even been good for Arnold Allen to sort of sharpen his skill set. He acknowledged after the fight he had to, you know, acknowledge his shortcomings, didn't do enough. He wasn't the kind of fighter who was like Kobe Covington. I won the fight. I got robbed. No, he's like, I lost the fight. I learned a few things out there. Max Holloway schooled me. Now, Allen's stamina to me, could be the deciding factor in this fight. The kid's in phenomenal shape. He could fight for all 15 minutes, and I believe his fight gets longer. Evilev's the kind of guy where, even though he wins a lot of fights by decision, he, he can't a little cardio dip at times, you know? So if it gets into a longer fight, cardio could be the factor. Now, though we respect Evilev's 17-0 record, 7-0 in the UFC, by the way, pretty impressive start, he was exposed in some of his recent fights. For example, he won by split decision over Nick Lentz. Now, who's Nick Lentz? Who's this guy? The same Nick Lentz who's three and five in his last eight fights and currently on a three-fight losing streak. Just side note, Nick Lentz has been fighting some good people. So that number of him three and five in his last eight, it was against a lot of good guys. But nonetheless, you know, my man Evlev, who's 17 and zero, he barely got by. One judge thought he lost that fight. You can make the case that Allen is the best fighter that uh, Monsar Evilev has fought. And I'm not saying that's like controversial. I think most people would agree Arnold Allen's the best guy that Monsar Evilev has fought. And so a lot of that 17 and 0 record you see of Evilev is made up of those first, you know, that regional scene stuff, padding the record, building him up. And now in the UFC, 7 and 0, but <clears throat> hasn't quite really fought the creme de la creme. You know what I'm saying? Now, Elif's cardio has also looked a little bit questionable at times. So you can't say he's got bad cardio. He's winning fights by decision. But his hands get low. He gets clipped at times. You know, and another thing, too, Evilev, he's a little bit like um, Woodson. He doesn't knock nobody out. He has no knockout power. He's not a knockout threat. If I'm Allen or anyone fighting Evilev, I know the threat's takedowns and position control. And making this ugly. That's a threat. It's not knocking me out. So I should feel comfortable walking him down, going at him, throwing some hard punches and not worrying about him hitting me with a hard counter, right? Regardless of who wins the fight, to me, there's a very high probability this fight goes the distance over two and a half. Starts round number three. Combined, they've been a decision in 13 of the last 15 fights. Now, look, MMA math is never a perfect science. But again, 13 of the last 15 fights combined, they've gone to decision. And neither of them have ever been finished. <laughs> now, again, those numbers could change. We could have a finish on Saturday. That, that does happen. If a finish does happen, I would say that it's probably Allen clipping Evilev at some point, who's been clipped before, who's shown that he can get hit, who has his hands low, takes a punch too many sometimes. Over two and a half rounds, I like that spot a lot. That's minus 360. The fight goes the distance is minus 330. And Allen by knockout is plus 750, the prop block for us here is the fight begins round three at a very chalky price tag of minus 550. Hear me out. That's, again, a parlay piece, a fight where either guy can win. I like Allen here by decision, but Evilev, who's 17-0, makes it really close, gets a few key takedowns, position control, 
and we see an evolution of Evolev a little bit. And next thing you know, he gets the win here. He is the favorite, minus 200, plus 164 for Allen. He beat Allen, though, by decision. That's your breakdown. Uh, any thoughts here in the chat real quick? Any thoughts in the chat? I'm all caught up. Okay. So next fight, Chris Curtis, the favorite of minus 185 against Mark andre Barut at plus 154. Let me pull up their graphics for you guys. This will be the second fight on the main card. And, uh, of course, Chris Curtis, a bit of a well-known fighter by this point now. Fans sort of know him. He's buddy-buddy with Sean Strickland, and they're fighting on the same card. I've said before, I'll say it again. I'm not sure if the buddy-buddy bromance for Curtis is good for him, that it's Strickland. I'm not, so, I'm not sure it's bad either. <laughs> I feel like... Like, I didn't know as much as I do know now about Curtis. We've got to see another side of him. And out of the cage, he kind of is a little bit of a loose cannon. He's admitted to getting online and, you know, fighting with people, arguing with people, even young people, about his fight or fight results or whatever. And, you know, it just seems a lot of waste of time and energy. And then he's super close with Sean Strickland, which is good maybe from a training perspective. But then somehow I think some of Sean's antics might wear off on Chris Curtis. And then Chris doesn't know how to be enough of his own man to like say, like, listen, I probably should engage in these things. Or I'm not Sean Strickland. Like, nobody should try to be Sean Strickland. He is Sean Strickland. He's the only one and only. So, like, Chris Curtis, you should just be you, but also not be online arguing with people about fights. Just, just saying. All right, Curtis, the action man. 30, 10, and 0 overall. So 40 fights, tons of experience. 2, 2, and 1 his last five. Mark andre Barriou, 16 and 6 overall. A lot less fights, but still good experience. He's 3, 2 in his last five. Mark andre Barriou is the Canadian fighter. He's now based out of Boca Raton, Florida, where he trains out of Killcliffe FC. He's 33 years old, about to be 34 years old, 6 foot 1 to 74 inch reach. As for the action man, he's 5, 10. He'll be giving up a futures in height. But he has 75 and a half inch reach, a little bit, little bit reach advantage for Action Man, who's 36 years old. He doesn't look that old. He's got a know, younger personality, I guess. But yeah, Action Man is getting up there in years. He's getting up there in years. A middleweight bout, 185 pounders. And again, middleweight bout is what's on the line in the, in the main event, right? Middleweight's um, Sean Trickland, who's, again, trading partner of Chris Curtis. Okay, let me get to this fight with you guys real quickly here. So we like Chris Curtis by round two knockout. That's plus 800. Quite a big return there. So the market's not agreeing with me that it's a likely outcome. Maybe round one knockout. Maybe no knockout at all. <laughs> so, look, Curtis is the kind of guy where I went and talked about some of the personal stuff and him online arguing with people. He's hard to get behind these days. He's won two and one in his last four fights. He looked very underwhelming in some of these fights. Now, granted, there was some bad luck, an eye poke, a, a missed headbutt, whatever. But how about when he fought against... What's his name? Oh, my gosh. Kevin Gaslam. It's like he couldn't cut the cage off. It's like he saw what was happening to him and didn't change it. He was like somebody who has been diagnosed with, with lung cancer and they can't stop smoking cigarettes. He was he was in the same mode the whole time, like walking forward, slowly trying to set punches up. He needed like a whole 30 seconds to set up a punch. And by the time that happened, the guy was gone. And I looked at that fight over and over. And I thought to myself, how does a guy with almost 40 fights or whatever on his resume, why can't he make a change mid-fight? Adjust your strategy. And so I know I'm being critical of Curtis for this. He's a nice guy. He's an entertainer. 
He's a fighter. I respect all these fighters. I'm just calling a spade a spade. He looked as if he didn't know what he was doing against Gaslam. And I worry in this fight against Mark Bariut, who's a bit of a veteran himself, 22 total fights. If he saw that fight, he's got the script. He knows the, you know, he's got the manual. How do I beat this guy? How do I force Curtis to fight my game style and also avoid all the power that Curtis has? Like, you're not going to win fights against Curtis if you just stand and trade with him. That's what he wants you to do. That's how he wins fights. So that's not what Kevin Gaslam did. <laughs> He's stuck and move, stuck and move. Now, does Barriot have the stamina, the energy to do this for three full rounds? I, I don't know. Because if you make one mistake and you stand just a little bit too long with Curtis, he'll knock you out. So everything tells me in my left side of my brain, Curtis could knock him out. He's going to do it. Mark andre Barriot's been knocked out before. He's not like a glass chin type of guy. He's got, he's got some durability. The other side of my brain is saying, You've seen him drop the ball recently. He's on a bit of a rough stretch. And when when guys or gals are in a rough patch of their career, you know, they're like kryptonite. Stay away from it. Let them get to the rough patch. Let them win a few fights. Let them show some consistency. And then maybe we can get back on that bandwagon. That's kind of where I'm at with, with, with Chris Curtis. I'm picking him to win, but I want no parts of actually betting on him to win. I will not be doing that. I won't be doing it. Today, I won't be doing it tomorrow. I won't be doing it green eggs and ham. I will not be betting on Chris Curtis because I need to see more from him and be more consistent. Some betting spots I do like, though, here. The fight starts round number two, minus 500. Again, very chalky, but a fight that I believe at least hits round number two. Could be a good parlay piece. Baryut by decision at plus 400. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Curtis by knockout at plus 240. Anytime knockout by Curtis at plus 240, that's a bargain. That's how he wins the fight. He won't win by going three rounds and winning the volume battle and, and landing a bunch of combinations. And like, no, he throws with a lot of ill intentions. He's got to let it go, though. He's also got to land some of those shots. If not, you're like the Kevin Gaston fight all over again. So give me Chris Action Man Curtis by round two knockout over Mark Baryut. And Mark Baryut is the Canadian fighter. So for Mark Bar Baryut, again, if he goes to the scorecards, could be his path to victory, right? Okay, next fight, Mike Malott, minus 355 odds, up against Neil Magny at plus 280. Let me grab their graphics for you. I tell you now, anytime I see Neil Magny's name, I think about the whole Ian Gary thing. It's amazing how another man's whatever, whatever's going on with Ian Gary. For those who don't know, Ian Gary was, yeah, he, he kind of laid in on Neil Magny about not being a good father custody of his kids and oh geez you know stuff that ended up i think coming back around now to to kind of bite ian machado in the ass but anyway we won't talk about that drama anymore welterweight bout 170 pounders neil the haitian sensation magni up against mike proper mallet mr mallet's 10 one and one overall five and zero his last five he's on a winning streak from canada now based out of california 32 years old, traded a team alpha male at some point out of Niagara, top team as well. So he's, again, the hometown kid. He's from Canada. Neil Magny, 28 and 11. Wow, 39 fights, a veteran of the game. Three and two, I'm sorry, two and three in his last five. From Dalton, Illinois, 36 years old, six foot three, very tall, long frame, 80 inch reach. So a seven inch reach advantage and a two inch height advantage. And Neil Magny trains at a Colorado elevation fight team, which is always nice that you're training in an elevation, good for your cardio, but not to mention Toronto's covered in snow. 
and Neil Magny coming from a snow environment, high elevation, cold climate to a similar kind of climate in this uh, for this fight. It's a probably easier transition for him. Okay, as for my notes on these two guys, I'm going to confess and say that I thought Mike Mallett opened at what, minus 350, minus 400. I've been parlaying Mike Mallett for weeks. Um, I do think it's his fight to lose. Kid has a lot of potential, big upside. I'm not saying Neil Magny can't win. So Neil Magny is a live dog. He's a guy who fought for the military. So I want to thank him for his service. He's a guy I respect. He, the way he handled the whole Ian Gary situation, again, not to rehash that. I like Neil Magny. He's a gatekeeper. He, he, he represents the better side of the UFC. Put it that way. That's how I put this guy. He's also coming off a loss to Ian Gary by decision, just last summer. Before that fight, he won by split over Phil Rowe. So it's like if you look at these last few fights, you know, split decision, win, losing to a newcomer. You know, at this point, obviously, I think Magny's better days as a fighter might be in the rear view. He's not spent. He's not done. He still has a place in the roster. Very much though a gatekeeper right now. He's got really good cardio. That's probably where he excels even at this age. He can he can just outpace you. And if you're not careful, you don't have your cardio in check, you mess around and find out. And Mallet, by the way, for what it's worth, or Malat, we haven't seen him go the distance, right? He finishes fights pretty quickly. What if he gets tired? Anyway, uh, Magny's biggest weakness is his submission defense. He has been submitted twice in his last three defeats, five times in total. Let me just say this again. So the biggest weakness for Magny is submission defense. He's been submitted twice in his last three defeats, his last three losses, and five times in total. Well, guess what? Mike Mallett has won four of his last five fights by submission, along with riding a six-fight winning streak. Magny needs to be at his, like, on his P's and Q's. He cannot mess around here with Mallet on the ground. No, or Malat. It just, he's going to get submitted. I almost had to ask myself the question, are the matchmakers putting this fight together in hopes that Malat scores a submission? Like, now we're in the main card. It's the, it's basically the, the main card for the Canadians. It's the last Canadian fight on the card. And he's a bit of a fan favorite. Good-looking guy. Looks like Clark Kent. Is this a is this like a sort of a nudge from the matchmakers? Like, listen, we're gonna give you a guy who's got submission defensive problems. That's what you really do. Go out there and get a submission. Again, MMA math is not a perfect science. Even though the numbers sort of line up towards him getting a submission, who knows what could happen here? And I imagine Mike Malat is gonna be a very popular parlay piece, and we know how that works. The most popular parlay piece in the card, that's the one who usually crushes everybody. <laughs> so just careful with this one. The fight begins round number two is minus 190 odds. I do kind of like that spot. The fight does not go the distance is minus 280. I like that spot too. Malat as a or Malat as a parlay piece. And then Malat by submission is plus 110. Anytime submission. We'll see what happens here, but I like Mike Proper Malat or Malat, however you want to say this last name here, by round two submission. That's plus 500. And let's move on. We're up to the championship fights now. Raquel Pennington versus Myra Bueno Silva. Let me grab the graphic real quick for you guys. And this is a championship fight for the vacant bantamweight title. Of course, this title was vacated by the, the quote, the one and only Amanda Nunes. And, you know, as a testament to how far up the, how far, how elite she was, how, how far ahead she was at the competition, she vacates a belt, and then now it's being fought for by two fighters that people are like, really? These are the ones that are going to 
get one of them to get a title. Like, really, are they? Are, that's how far off it was. Amanda Nunes was so far away above her competition, even when she retired. Like, she retired literally on top. I know she lost that one fight to Julia Pena, whatever. Um, yeah. So, look, no, no disrespect here to Bueno Silva or Pennington, but that's why the public's like, oh, it's kind of like a kind of a boring championship fight. It's still. It's still valid. It's still valid. But yes, this division is very thin. Um, yeah, it just is. All right. So UFC vacant bantamweight title fight here between Myra Bueno Silva, who goes by Shitara, and Raquel Pennington, who goes by Rocky. Silva's 10 2 1 overall. She's 3 1 1 her last five. From Brazil, 32 years old, 5 6 in height with a 66 and a half inch reach. As for Rocky, 15 and 8 overall. She's also on a winning streak at 5 and 0. From Colorado Spring, Colorado, still trains in Colorado, 35 years old. 5'7 with a 67 and a half entry. So height and reach, a small advantage for Rocky. It's negligible. Not going to make a big difference in this fight. Okay. As for my breakdown, um, now's a good time to remind you guys we have a newsletter and you should subscribe to it. It's run through Substack. The link is down below. But let me talk to you guys about this fight. I'm going to just talk off the top of my head here. Again, for the notes and details, you can look at our newsletter. Also, we have our data sheet available online through our Google Drive. I've interviewed Raquel Pennington, had a chance to, you know, talk to her, ask her questions about, you know, fighting and also questions of just about life. She was an athlete growing up, you know, and she she's obviously, you know, openly, um, part of the you know gay community and she's got a partner and they just had a baby and um Latisha Torres right another UFC fighter the point is this she she shared she has she has shared openly about her you know being a teenager and sort of going through some of those emotions she was an athlete growing up she broke her back at some point <laughs> like broke her back like was was bedridden for like months I believe at some point her back breaking happened, I believe, maybe was it snowboarding or something like that? But she broke her back. She went through a major injury. And she was an athlete in high school, was hoping to go to college and play sports. And that all got derailed. She's been through some 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 ish, you know? And when you watch her fight, she's tough. I mean, she could take a punch. She's fought the best of the best. She's fought Misha Tate, Jessica Andrade twice, Holly Holm, Mana Nunez. So, you know, she's just got that dog. If you cut her, she'll fight through that too. I uh, I have a lot of respect for Raquel Pennington. I'm not going to go against her this weekend or anytime soon. And I really hope she wins, uh, again, from a personal level, having interviewed her before, having had a chance to just sort of talk with her, you know, on, on the record, off the record. She's quality, quality people, good people. We need more Penningtons. Again, she represents the better side of, of the UFC. All that said, she's getting older. She has a family now. And my concern would be, you know, she's losing a step. She's showing some signs of deterioration, not necessarily not necessarily like with her chin, but just, you know, she's not faster now than she was when she was 25, you know. You know, Father Time's undefeated. And so I do see her losing a little bit of a step. But all that said, I still think she's got plenty to beat Myra Silva. And a matter of fact, I think Raquel Pennington, she knows the assignment. Defend takedowns, which is not that hard to do because Myra Bonasova is not a great wrestler. She's like an eh wrestler, but really amazing jujitsu, 
right? So don't play with Silva on the ground. Keep it standing. When Silva gets tired, her punches already are not very impressive when she's not tired. When she gets tired, it's like slapping punches from Silva. There's nothing behind it. She's falling. She gets frustrated. Myra Buena Silva also gets very emotional. I could see her being in the corner this weekend, round two to three type of thing. She knows she's behind. And she's like being very boombastic in the corner, being defiant to her coach, arguing that, no, she did this to me or whatever. She's not the most coolest customer. Raquel Pennington, cool customer. She's been through things. Like Mike Tyson said, spinal. Broken back. So, long story short, I'm on Pennington win by decision, if not TKO. I think at some point she starts to drag Myra Silva. I think at some point Silva's her hair is disheveled and she can't find that submission because she can't get her to the ground. She's in a dog fight. Pennington trains at elevation. You know, she's from that cold climate. She, she trains in the cold climate, lives in the cold climate. She's up now in Toronto. Uh, press conferences, I thought Raquel looked very smooth butter like i've been here before i'm ready i've, I've fought the best i've fought misha tate i fought holly home you're just my Bono silva and again silva face off she had like these high heels and you see she's trying to get herself pumped up and that's cool i mean listen i just don't think that silva is as good as as some of what people might be making it out and with raquel pennington she ain't the best in the world but she bona fide she's been here and if we're just talking about who has the bigger dog in them, I'm going to go with Raquel Pennington every day, every single day. So give me Rocky. Um, I mentioned, though, my only concern. She is, you know, turning 36 years old this year, got a family, showing some signs of, you know, getting older. Um, you got Silva approaching her prime, right? She's got tons of submissions. Everyone's going to take her by submission if you're taking Silva. It's going to be by submission, not by, by uh, decision, right? Some props to consider here. Over 1.5 rounds is minus 450. I like that spot. The fight starts round number three, minus 300. Silva by submission at plus 165. Pennington by split decision at plus 800. And Silva by split decision at plus 1100. Loving the split props, especially in the female fights. It's a five-round affair, too. Those five-round fights, when they go to decision, they have a high propensity for judges to be all over the place. The prop lock here is over 1.5 rounds at minus 450 odds. And we're up to the knee, the main event, the last fight in the card. Mr. Strickland and Drykus Duplassis. Let me pull up their profiles real quick before I get out of here. I have a conference call, Zoom meeting, which is actually at 12. I said before it was 11, 15, 11, 30. It's at 12. But I want to go outside and attack my driveway because I have tons of snow in my driveway. It's great. I love snow. Middleweight bout for the title, Sean Strickland. Drakus Duplessis. I can make an argument here for both of these guys. That that wouldn't be difficult to do. Strickland is he kind of he like sucker punched us all. You know, he came out of nowhere. He was a guy who we all thought was oh, he's average, okay, lacks punching power, says some you know controversial stuff sometimes, kind of rednecky, kind of looks like a skinhead used to be a skinhead like you know this guy's got a story to tell and he's he's all entertainment he loves the cameras loves to talk don't let him tell you any different loves interviews loves it loves all of it loves the attention 
love to say things to get people going and then quietly beat you up. <laughs> like he kind of tears you apart. And he shocked the world when he beat uh, Adesanya as like a big dog. And hindsight, we're all like, well, I guess, yeah, you could see him. And this guy, like, he's like a roach, doesn't go away. Kind of like, you know, cardio for days. Abus, Abus Magomedov beat him in round one and then realized, oh, I have to fight longer with this guy. I got to go round two, round three, round four. So Sean could win the fight. He could definitely extend Duplessis. He could definitely do the Sean trick and stuff. He could drown him out, volume, blah, 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 all that stuff, yeah. But Dreykus Duplessis, I believe, hits significantly harder than Sean Strickland. And we saw what happened when Sean got, you know, folded up by Alex Pereira. Now, Alex Pereira, to Sean's defense, is really more like a light heavyweight, <laughs> you know, not a middleweight. So he was cutting like 40, 50 pounds to get down there. So it was a big man. And Pereira could hit like a ton of bricks. I just bring it up because I'm not sure Dreykus could hit that hard, but Dreykus hits pretty hard. Ask Robert Whitaker about it. The minute Dreykus knocked out Whitaker, that was his last fight. I was like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta show respect to this guy. He's actually got some legit power. Now, does Duplessis have the cardio of Strickland? Ah, you know, Duplessis has had weak cardio in the past. He's had a surgery for the nose. You know, better breathing. I don't know. Whatever. I don't. I don't want to get to a marathon fight with Strickland though. That's that's where he. That's his milieu. That's where he exists. That's where he does his best work. But give me Dreykus to knock out Strickland in round number three. I believe at some point in those first two, three rounds, Dreykus will find the timing. You know, Sean does that style of like his hands are here. He's, I, I could take a few punches. I spar all the time, man. Yeah, I don't know. You can do all that, and then all of a sudden, Alex Pereira knocks you out, right? So, again, Dreykus by a round three knockout. For some props here, the fight begins round number two is minus 400 odds. I love that spot. I definitely think we get to round number two. Over 1.5 rounds, minus 238. The fight does not go the distance. It's minus 280. Five rounds is a long time. Um, Strickland could do it. I, I just don't know that these guys can go five full rounds together. So I think the fight does not go the full distance. The fight ends by knockout. It's minus 150 odds. Either Sean overwhelms him and drowns him out with volume to the point where, you know, Dreykus takes a knee, like falls down, or Dreykus catches him. So it's minus 150 odds. The prop lock for us is the fight begins round number two at minus 400 odds. I just feel like these guys have at least five minutes, right? Especially Sean, but I feel like Dreykus is not going to go out there and blow his wad in the first five minutes. He's going to put them in measured, measured sort of distance and pace. They're both pretty high IQ fighters. They don't want to go out there and, uh, you know, make a big mistake in the first round. So there is your breakdown for UFC 297. I do need to record real quickly the, the Swift picks, right? Oh, my goodness. My, my dog just kind of came plowing into my room. He knows how to actually open the door. <laughs> if you heard that, we have the we have the handles on our doors. He actually knows how to go and open it. He just, just opens it and comes into the room when he wants to. <laughs> okay, let's do swift picks for, um, for UFC 297. And, uh, and I'll make a few more announcements. And I'll get out of your hair. For those who came by today, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. I know it's like middle of the day. I'm not done recording today, though. Come by tonight, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, about seven hours from now for me and Monique to do MMA Happy Hour. We'll give you our picks. She'll give you her picks. You're getting my picks already now. But we'll give our picks. We'll talk some some wine and uh, and just some mixed martial arts together. So that's 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. 
Mermaid Happy Hour right here on the MFC Network. Okay, here are Swift picks for UFC 297. First fight in the car, we like Malcolm Gordon by decision. Jasmine Jasodavicious by decision. Johan Lyonese by a round two knockout. Jillian Robertson by a round two submission. Sadi by a knockout, round number two. Charles Air Jordan by decision. Brad Katona by decision. Arnold Allen by decision. Chris Curtis by a round two knockout. Mike Malott by a round two submission. Raquel Pennington, new champion, wins by decision. And also the main event, another new champion, Dreykus Duplessis by a round three knockout. Those are your swift picks for UFC 297. All right, guys, thanks again for joining us. Some reminders, please sign up for our newsletter. That link's down below. If you're hearing this on our podcast, our newsletter link is mmafightclub.substack.com. Again, mmafightclub.substack.com. Also follow us on Twitter. That link is down below. On Twitter, you can find us at mmafightclub, number six. That's now no longer Twitter. It's X. And on Instagram, you can also find us on Instagram. That's at MMA underscore fight underscore club 100. We're also on Twitch. And we're also on Discord as well. So we're kind of everywhere. Do the best we can to get to as many platforms as possible. So follow us, like, subscribe, do those wonderful things. Leave some comments down below. Once this live stream is over with, we'll get some timestamps here for the people that are watching this at a later time. They can just jump around the video and get to whatever part of the video they want to watch. So love you guys. Thanks for stopping by. The people in the chat, Anthony W., Tome Miggins, Dave Weston, um, S4NO, Choi Bay. Thank you guys so much. Dave Weston, by the way, um, thanks for stopping by, dude. I see you there. Awesome. Dogs. I love dogs. I love dogs, dude. All right. Uh, yes. Tone Megan's CeeLo Studios. Thank you guys. Appreciate you guys so much. I'll see you guys soon. Have a wonderful afternoon. If you're in snowy weather, be safe. I'm about to go bu bundle up myself and go outside before my Zoom meeting and go clean off some snow. So I'll see you guys soon. Deuces.